Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode is brought to you thanks to my course, How to Get Started Being Freelance. If you're new to freelancing or you know somebody who is, we have everything covered. So from finding clients to dealing with them to getting paid by them and much more besides, please do take a look. Beingfreelance.com, click on course and you can get started being freelance in a much nicer way than a lot of us have. (laughs) Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for digital marketer Claire Gallagher. It was interesting in a way as a freelancer the first time saying no to work. I was still getting people emailing me and asking for a flyer and a brochure and things like that. And I had to start saying no to it, which was so scary because if you have nothing else in the pipeline and you're saying no to people offering you money, it was like, what am I doing? Instead of questionnaires and surveys, to get on calls with people, to have coffee with people, and ask them specific questions around how they seek a service like mine. When you actually meet real people, they will literally tell you everything you need to know about how to find them, how to speak to them, how to inspire them. Even the coaches that I didn't like or they didn't suit me, they always got me somewhere. Unless you want to stay in the same place, I think you need other people to keep you accountable and to encourage you to take action that you would be afraid to do on your own. So there is Claire, her story coming up very soon indeed. How are you? How are you? We have just this episode and then next week's episode done and then we are done for Christmas because remarkably the week after that it will be December and I'm taking a break but we'll be back in the new year but we'll still be hanging out in the Being Freelance community where we have live Q&As, we have the pub quiz, we have the book club, we have the non-employee of the week awards and more than that we, we just get to hang out with each other, freelancers from around the world having a laugh but also you know if you've got a question and you just need some clarity it's a great place to post things or you know a client has written something and you're not quite sure how to respond you put it in the group people come to your assistance it's so good don't forget you're not alone being freelance come find us in the being freelance community right let's crack on shall we hear from this week's guest and that is freelance digital marketer based in france claire gallagher hey claire hi steve as ever how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance thanks steve thanks for having me um well i as the accent would not suggest i live in france uh, but i'm from ireland When I moved to France, my French was rubbish. So uh, I kind of officially got started being freelance when I moved to France in 2009. Gulp, that's a long time ago. Um, But I think a lot lot of creatives, they they always have like little jobs on the side and stuff. Um, But officially when I came to France first, I carried on working with a lot of the people that I had worked with back in Ireland. And then we started our family and I figured, you know, the world of work isn't always a very nice place to mums and dads. You know, there's a lot of eye rolling happens when uh, you have to leave to pick up a kid mm-hmm. or or something. So I figured I want my first priority to always be the little ones. So I decided to go it alone. So when you moved to France, you carried on working remotely with people in Ireland, as in you weren't freelance then? When I was in Ireland, I was I had always worked in agencies before so design agencies communications agencies and I traveled quite a lot with it so I'd I'd been in London a little bit I'd been in Melbourne a little bit and uh, I had a like a great experience like it's very easy to just jump in and get a job somewhere as a freelancer 
graphic designer. Um, but when I was in Ireland, it was a lovely big agency that I worked with. Um, and they kept me, they kept sending me bits of work as I was in Paris and a few other people that I knew that just like, you know, odds and ends. And then when I took it properly full time, when I wasn't working in agencies anymore um, in Paris, I just went for it and started doing the whole networking thing, set up my own website. And, you know, it was quite easy to tap into the expat network in France as well, because as, as soon as you're an English speaker who can do design, everybody wants wants your number. As soon as you're an expat, as soon as you're not living in the country that you're from, you have to be like the person who goes to things. You have to go and like, <laughs> you have to build up your network because I didn't really know anybody in Paris at the time. I'd moved to Paris because I wanted to learn how to speak French. In theory, I was there for a year, but that was like a while ago now. So I'm get the, the jig is up. I'm staying. Um, <laughs> well, that was Paris. We live in the South now, but, uh, there's lots of meetups. There's lots of like expat groups. There's like business networking and stuff like that. And as soon as you're like an English speaker, that's already like a part of your niche. You know, it's like English speaking business owners in Paris. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, there's a lot of um, lovely support groups and networks there. And you can just kind of tune into those. And I met some fabulous people early on. And what were you positioning yourself as? What were you to them? <laughs> That's a good question. I was a, an everything graphic designer because I'd, I because I'd worked in agencies before. And you know, you, as you come up as a junior, you kind of have to know how to do everything. When I went freelance first, I was just like, you want a design? I can make it. You want a logo? I can make it. You want a flyer? You want a website? I can make it. So in the beginning, I was just like, I had the software and uh, I knew how to use it. So I pretty much was doing anything and everything. And it was just over time, I realized like what I'm actually really good at and what I'm most interested in is the strategy part of it and putting those systems in place so that people can can have their own business. So in the beginning, it was whatever you want done, I can do it. And then it kind of fine tuned it over time. Yeah, because what are we talking about now? So 2000, so about 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> you think my friend should be better by now. <laughs> when would you say it felt like you knew that? if you see what I mean. like when, you know, when did you stop doing everything? Uh, that now was a kind of a, a rock bottom moment. Uh, not rock bottom, but like I was able to get projects quite easily because of these networks and everybody was so kind to refer me and like pass my name on to other people. And it was, it was after I'd had uh, my son and I was in a way the victim of my own success because I had so much work on that I didn't have time for anything else in my life. Like literally I wasn't socializing when I was with my son. I was like checking emails, trying to post on social media for visibility, doing edits for pe on people's websites when I was on holidays. And there was just, there was a moment I was sitting at my kitchen table. I remember it so clearly. I can remember <laughs> I was listening to the Adam Buxton podcast. I remember like the moment that it was, and I had to add something to somebody's web page, like a, one of my clients' web pages. And I didn't know what image to use, to use and what text they wanted there. And it was like, I looked at the clock and it was two o'clock in the morning. And I could hear the sleeping noises of husband and children in, in the other room, just like, and I just thought, what am I doing here? I am missing out on life by just trying to 
keep people happy. And I realized I couldn't email these people at two o'clock in the morning to think I was crazy. So, <laughs> so from, from that point on, I started to work with coaches and mentors to just really help me to actually have a business rather than just having work. Cause there's like, there's a big difference there of like just being busy all the time, all the time working, like burning the midnight oil just to kind of hit. And it wasn't even a high income either. It was just like working all the time with no perspective. So like there was, it was a very distinct moment in the middle of the night, uh, realized that something had to change. And I really, I couldn't keep going on because I was, everything in my life was suffering, like relationships, health, everything. So what did you do? So you sought help? Well, this is it. Um, it's, it seems so obvious when you say ask for help when you need help. Uh, but I think it took me a while still to take help, to accept help after that. I think like creatives, creative, creative problem solvers, we like to figure it out. We like to kind of find the edges of what we can do. And if we can't do something, we'll learn how to do it. Um, so I think at that point I started buying courses and sure, I didn't have any time. And then I was spending more time on the courses. <laughs> um, but over time, I, I just, I met a, a friend of mine who was also uh, independent creative and she recommended a business coach to me. And I worked with that business coach and then I worked with another business coach and I got much clearer on what my most valuable contribution is. And I got much clearer on what my actual priorities were and when I started out, it was supposed to be my family, but I was spending every every hour of the day and night working. So it, it, it put it back in perspective what my priorities were. I think coaches are very good at that, of like holding a mirror up to you and, said, and saying things like, well, didn't you do this for this reason? Are you doing that? So um, from one coach to the next, from one course to the next, it just started getting better and better over time. And what would you say was like the, the, the main things that you then did within, well, to go from having work to having a business, as you put it? Yeah, um, it was just being much more specific about what I do and who I serve and what value I can bring. So this is like any marketers or coaches out there going, well, yeah, obviously, Claire. Um, <laughs> but um, it was just about getting really, really clear that the work that I did for people would help them to get clients. Whereas previously it was just, I can do brochures, I can do logos, I can do websites. But I focused then on the the kind of the deliverable of my service and that was work with me and we will create something that will help you to get clients so I work a lot with coaches and consultants and actually other creatives now as well uh, helping them to create something that will get them clients <laughs> and avoid the, all the mistakes that I made in the early days of working every hour of the day and night um, so I got super super clear on the value that I was offering and not just doing anything and everything. And did that mean that you you did different work? Like, what did you start doing then? Yeah, well, I kind of, I started getting more specific about saying that I was creating websites. But if anybody who's ever created a website knows that creating a website isn't just creating a website, it's writing text, doing layouts, creating brand kits, um, finding out a way of driving traffic to that website. So I created a kind of a system, like a process that created a website that was more meaningful. So my deliverable was a website, but the actual 
process was very, very key to it because it's working on messaging and positioning and working on their ideal client and really branding their services and everything. So it's like it was packaged up as a website, but in that it was creating the content of that website and creating kind of the look and feel of that website as a kind of a a holistic process, really, for want of a better word. And as you sort of transitioned from doing everything to doing that, like, did work go quiet for a bit or did it just go seamlessly from one thing to another like how was it well the dream would be for it to go seamlessly from one thing to the next but it was interesting in a way as a freelancer the first time saying no to work I was still getting people emailing me and I was still meeting people and they were asking for a flyer and a brochure and things like that and I had to start saying no to it which was so scary because if you have nothing else in the pipeline and you're saying no to people offering you money, it was like, <laughs> what am I doing? But um, my just working, having a coach um, at my back and having actually a mastermind group, by the time I was really starting to make big changes, I was part of a mastermind, which was hugely helpful of just people saying, no, you have set your vision. You know what you want. You have to say no to this. So yes, there was a, a lull, um, but it, it really did pay off in, in preparing for that kind of transition. You kind of uh, create a little runway of money. I know you guys talk about that a lot on, on this podcast and, and you're doing it for the kids one as well to have some kind of buffer or, or runway before you make any big changes. And that was <laughs> that was important because it took a while to to really get known for the other thing rather than just getting known mm. for the person you can call whenever you need anything. So uh, to build a reputation, it took it took a little while. Yeah. And where did you get those new clients, as in the actual clients that you wanted, the work that you wanted? That was interesting because I had been doing this work f- with other people. So anytime I was doing like the random graphic design stuff, I was I, my question was always, well, who is this for? Who is your ideal client here? And what what are they interested in? So I was always kind of tuned into the importance of, well, who is this for? So I spent a lot of time trying to identify who my ideal client was and interviewing people and asking people who, the people who I would identify as my ideal client, like the people who, with whom I could do my best work and they could pay for it. I interviewed a bunch of them and I asked them, well, where do you spend time online and how do you, how do you seek to solve this problem normally? So already by interviewing those people, they were literally telling me where to come and find more of them. (laughs) So, um, I think a lot of it, it was just network as well and referrals. When I started, I had I had already established something of an email list at that stage and I was talking to people about that. But definitely network was the first thing. And then I experimented with just showing up in Facebook groups and being helpful and offering to brainstorm with people and just kind of building a reputation that way within certain communities. Um, and then after that, the ball got rolling and started to experiment with other ways of finding clients like doing webinars doing events doing youtube stuff doing blogging so it kind of all built up um one thing on top of another after a while but initially network you can't go wrong with reaching people in your own community and when you say you were interviewing people what Mm. like speaking to them a questionnaire like what what did you do well that's you know have you heard of the design sprint Pretend I haven't. <clears throat> <laughs> okay. For people who haven't, uh, uh, and I may or may not be one of them. 
Okay. <laughs> so the design sprint is, and like anybody who's worked in kind of IT or development, they'll, they'll be familiar with the term sprint because it's like a, it's a micro project that has a very strict deadline. Um, but there's a book called Sprint by this guy called Jake Knapp. And it's all about a process of designing a project. And one of the parts of this is interviewing people and asking them, well, what do you think of it? So this always inspired me to to actually, instead of questionnaires and surveys, to get on calls with people, to have coffee with people and ask them specific questions around how they seek a service like mine. So it's all a bit meta because this is the kind of work that I do with, with my own clients as well. But interviewing people, the people who would be your ideal client, so a potential perfect client, whatever way you want to call it, get kind of gets a bit weary of saying ideal client all the time, but actual human <laughs> beings, because a lot of these kind of business coaches and, and courses, they'll say ideal client avatar, and it's a completely fictional made up thing that's from your imagination. But when you actually meet real three-dimensional human people with the heartbeat and problems and questions, they will literally tell you everything you need to know about how to find them, how to speak to them, how to inspire them. And so I just, I, I would interview people and ask them, well, where do you like to hang out online? And what have you Googled recently in relation to a service like mine? And and just ran, like, not random, very specific <laughs> questions like that. And it's just, instead of trying to guess or get creative about inventing it or following some online gurus, you know, indestructible plan to blah 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 you're actually tired because <laughs> it's very, it gets a bit tiresome of um after a while of like all of that online kind of content when you connect with the real people you, you can't go wrong because they're they literally tell you everything you need to know about how to find them and connect with them and so as this plan of yours started to work did it work in the way that you hoped uh, work-life balance wise as well yes now this was that was like the huge kind of deal breaker for me I, I had to stop working weekends and after hours um, I have this thing actually these days now uh, I announce every Friday on Instagram I'm about to uninstall all my apps for the weekend see you on Monday so um, the work-life balance thing it's like from that moment of rock bottom when I was like working in the middle of the night and everybody was asleep I just I made a promise to myself that I'd never go back there and remind myself that my little kids are only little for a very short time. So now I work a four day week and this summer I was able to take two months off. <gasps> so I've designed that into um, into how I work. Because July and August here, I don't know if you've ever been to the south of France in July and August, but it gets bloody <laughs> hot. It gets bloody hot and nobody wants to have their consultant sweating on the call. So <laughs> I've kind of engineered it into my um, into how I work that I have to make my money in 10 months instead of 12. I have to take this time off because my kids in a couple of years might not want to hang out with me. So that's just my deal breaker. I need to prioritize the time off so that when I come back from that, I'm fully refreshed and energized and I can do my best work with the people who are paying me. Which sounds amazing. Is amazing. Two months off is pretty amazing. <laughs> and and a four day week. But yeah. how, how do you actually manage to make that happen? Well, some of it comes down to pricing, as in the service that, uh, that I offer. I price it in a way that I don't need a million clients in order mm. to make the money that I need to make. 
that's not, a, it's no kind of, uh, I'm not saying like, I deserve to be paid loads of money, but the, I, I, it's value-based pricing. The people who come and work with me, they are investing in a service that's going to help them make money. So my service is priced accordingly. So I'm, I'm able to charge the amount of money, which means that I don't have to work with a bazillion clients all the time, which means if I don't have to work with all those clients, it means I have more time, basically. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to pricing and also how my process works. Like I've been designing this process over, I think, since forever, <laughs> that I have a, a very step-by-step -step process that I bring people through. And it looks different. Every single client that goes through it, it always looks different. But it's a process that helps me get all of the important information so that we can create a strategy that's really relevant and meaningful for their business. So yeah, pricing and being able to work very efficiently, very in a powerful way for, for the people who, who invest and trust me with their, with their marketing. And does that mean that you maybe only work with one client at a time or? No, it's, um, it's more like, it's similar to like a coaching model in that we meet for an hour each week depending on what, what kind of uh, deadlines they have. But it can be that we do it as a sprint, which means we're meeting every day for a week or a week and a half sometimes, or we're meeting once a week for three months. That's also the thing that was always a pet peeve of mine in agencies. You know, the designers are locked away in a little room and they're not allowed to talk to anybody. But when you actually go and meet the client, I keep, I mean, maybe I'm laboring this a little bit, but meeting the client is very important. Um, when I worked in agencies as a designer, you know, you very rarely, especially as unless you're like a senior or an art director, you don't always get to meet the clients. Um, so being able to work with them directly in real time, face to face, you just get to the juicy stuff way quicker rather than exchanging emails and filling out surveys and templates and things like that. So it's just, uh, <laughs> it's great. Human connection is so much more important. Mm. And as you moved into this new way of working, what did you do with your own website, like with your own portfolio? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the old port, the poor portfolio, always three years <laughs> behind. <laughs> so um, like as any kind of visual designer or visual communicator will know, you're supposed to show and not tell. Um, but I think this, it's, it needs to be a combination of showing and telling for a website to work well and to convince people of your skills. So I'm still doing design and layouts and things like that with my clients. And I communicate it as always like a results-based project. So some people will come to me and they'll want a whole website overhaul. But, you know, budget isn't always, the budget isn't always there. So we create something that is designed to get results. So that's what I try and show in my portfolio. And even in the content that I create, like for my blog and for, for wherever I show up online, it's like to talk about the process of identifying what you need to do and then doing that rather than doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, like a full website and your about page and all this kind of stuff. So the designer and the artist's website and uh, portfolio is always in progress it's always always a work in progress and i use my own website as a like as a, an experimental testing ground for other strategies so that i know how they work so that i can do them with my clients so it's always evolving and sometimes i can't look at my own website it's like i need to change this <laughs> uh oh that's a cool 
way of looking at it, though, the fact that you can use your own website as a testing bed for things you might do with your with your clients. Yeah. Do you have, because uh, you say sh- show show and tell kind of thing. Yeah. Like, do, do you, like, have, you know, like, case studies where you work through your, you know, your process? Yeah, it's, um, it's sometimes, I, when I do get to write the case studies properly, it's, I, I write up the description of, well, when Mary came to me, we had uh, this idea in mind, we explored X, Y, Z, and then this is what we did and the step-by-step of, of what we did. Now, that doesn't always happen because those take ages to write and people sometimes take a while to get back with their testimonials. So I sometimes do snapshots as well to just have the visual and like the and the context of it. So it means I can spend 20 minutes doing a portfolio piece instead of like four hours. Um, but in the in the show and tell, I'll say why this person got in touch with me in the first place what they wanted to achieve, what their real vision was. And then I'll, I'll detail the steps that we took in order to to kind of have a results-driven process or a, a project, I mean. Yeah, that's it. I've remembered now. Yeah, you call them project stories, don't project you? Project stories, yeah. Yeah, I remember thinking that was a really nice, not case studies, project stories. Right. Well, that's, essen- that's essentially what they are, but yeah. nobody jumped out of bed in the morning to read a case study. <laughs> <laughs> also on your site, I noticed that you have a, you know, lots of people have a sign up. You mentioned having an email list earlier, but like you have a, is it a worksheet that people get if they sign up? Yeah, well, you might have, it's, as I just said, like it's a testing ground. So I've been testing out a bunch of stuff recently um, because I believe that ebooks don't work. I believe that any content that takes more than half an hour to consume or understand just doesn't work. So I've been testing out um a certain worksheet so there was a blog post of mine that because i'm tuned into uh how my website performs i got like uh you know the google used to be called webmaster tools but it's called google console you can see what people are googling to get to your site and which of your blog posts or which of your pages is the most popular so i noticed that this one blog post that i'd written ages ago it just had like 10 times more traffic than anything else. Um, so I created a freebie to go with it. It was, it was called the, um, the web strategy template. So people had been Googling that exact term. So I made a web strategy template. And that is by far the most effective opt-in incentive that I've ever, ever created. But mm. it's only on that one blog post across the whole rest of my website, I test other things. So I have live workshops sometimes that I that I test out. I have uh, cheat sheets, ebooks, all of these kind of things. Ebooks never work. <laughs> ebooks never ever work. <laughs> Nobody has time for an ebook. But I, I'm I'm always testing and and hopefully it doesn't annoy people that are on my list. But uh, it, it just cha- it changes anytime I want to prove to myself that a certain piece of content works or doesn't work. I change it up to see what happens. So people don't want a replay of a webinar. People don't want a one-hour training. Uh, worksheets and cheat sheets work like like nothing else. If it's a quick win, if it's a quick turnaround time, people are way more interested. That's so cool. Speaking of which, end, presumably you will know how this works for you because <laughs> you, you you look at your results and your metrics. Like there, there's um, a, some of your stuff might not feature your face, but a lot of it does. Yeah. 
<laughs> Were you not comfortable doing that at first? Oh no, it took me a long time. One my one of my um friends, I actually have a podcast with a friend of mine who is a personal brand photographer. And she said, come on, Claire, you need to show your face. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, because previously I was just showing my work. I was just showing pictures, like snapshots of logos and websites that I'd made. But also one of the coaches that I was working with, she says, you can have the nicest logo in the world, but people are going to remember your face way more quickly than anything else. So she said, if you want to build up your personal brand, you have to show your face. And then I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> it's not easy especially when you hit 40 <laughs> so you find it works it yeah yeah i've even been recognized a couple of times <laughs> and you said about showing up online where mm. you show up online so where do you show up online well i play on instagram i believe that instagram isn't the thing that's going to attract well for me anyway and my temperament as how I can show up online. I mean, I don't love the labels of introvert, extrovert, because I think you can corner yourself with things, but I'm not somebody who has eternal energy to show up online. And my temperament and my energy for marketing myself, because my face is on so many things, it kind of ebbs and flows. So sometimes I'll have a load of energy and I'll do a bunch of reels on Instagram or Sometimes I have a load of energy and I'll do a load of videos for YouTube, but it ebbs and flows. So for me personally, now this isn't what I say to my clients and it's not prescriptive for people that I work with, but for me, Instagram is a place where people, they find out about me and then they go to Instagram to see, well, what's this chick all about? And on other social platforms, like well, YouTube is weird to call a social platform, but I think technically it is. I feel safer there because there's less, you know, family and friends watching. Mm. Um, so on, in terms of how I show up online, uh, I show up on, well, search engines find me and then showing up on mostly on Instagram in terms of, you know, me talking and expressing my opinion. Uh, I kind of edged away from Facebook quite a lot in the, like, especially during the lockdown periods, I thought it was, there was too much happening there. So I kind of leaned away from Facebook, even though that was what helped to my business in the very early days. But showing up online, it's um, sometimes I have a load of energy for it. And then sometimes I'm, I give myself permission to take a break from it as well, which I think is important for mental health. Yeah. And what about your podcast then? How did that come about? <laughs> so that's my friend Aideen. She's, um, she's been a friend of mine since we were about 18. Oh. And we worked in a, a restaurant back back home in the old land, in the old country. Um, and we just randomly, we kind of lost touch and then we randomly met each other in a Facebook group. No way. Yeah, <laughs> years later, because I was already living in France at that stage. And she said, did we work together in Little Sicily? Um, but she she's the personal brand photographer that told me to show my face. Um, and we just always had these great chats. We always had these kind of conversations that were about business, but also about like, your personality and like your your vision and all those kind of things and she's a much more like emotional spiritual person than me and I'm more strategic robotic so we kind of balance <laughs> each other out um a little bit so we said everybody's making a podcast why shouldn't we as well so we we got on got on a few calls recorded them and strangely people are listening <laughs> it's really good oh. how have you found doing that it's fantastic it means I get to talk to my friend every week 
<laughs> which is really nice because, you know, mm. life can get in the way and you just don't talk to your chums as much. So we had to be quite structured because we both have kids and we're both quite busy with work. So we schedule in our, our chat and then we kind of we take turns in editing it and then we both share it with our with our own audiences. And it's been nice. We kind of I put it, you know, the um, this is another design sprint thing. I put a little timer on. So I allow myself a certain amount of time to work on it. I allow myself a certain amount of time to promote it. Oh. Um but it's been fab. It means I get to talk to my friend every week and talk about topics that my non-business owner friends would not go near <laughs> in terms of like chit chat. But it, it means we get into these lovely deep conversations and people email us all the time to say how much they got out of it and everything. It's It's been it's been really rewarding. And so that gives you yet more stuff to talk about, more visibility. Do, do Do you think it brings you work? I think... It allows people to get to know us. It mm. allows people to hear what kind of person you are. The way that I work with people as well, it's very one-on-one. -on -one. It's a very kind of close relationship. And even sometimes just getting on a call with somebody online, uh, you're like, well, who is this person? And what are they all about? If they hear your voice and they hear you having a laugh with your friend, but also having quite serious conversations, there's a trust factor there. So I don't think it's visibility-wise. I don't think it's the thing that, it's going to get us found but it kind of there's a little edging towards a relationship a trusting relationship when they kind of get a sense of who you are by kind of listening to you having conversations yeah i'm intrigued though you said about setting a timer are you literally setting a timer oh yeah i've got one of those little time timers you know when you turn the dial it, it, it's red and you can see the time ticking down like a proper old kitchen timer like yeah like one of those little egg things like yeah. um or the Pomodoro, like, I mean, you can call it the Pomodoro method as well. People, you know, you set a task for 20 minutes or something. But yeah. again, it's from being very protective of my time. So, you know, you can, you can scroll for hours, you can Google something and go down a rabbit hole. And uh, if you put your timer on and it beeps, it kind of brings you back to the, to the real world because you can nice. infinitely scroll on things and get lost. So do you do that with everything? I'm a bit of a geek. I'm a bit of a geek for that. Um, when a task is important, I'll dedicate a certain amount of time for it. And if it goes over, that's okay. But I'm, I'll, it just makes me aware of the minutes and time. Because in any kind of creative work, you can kind of get into a flow state and like, I don't know, forget to collect the kids from school. <laughs> that's never, that's <laughs> never happened. That's never happened. But um, your day can kind of slip away if you're do if you're in like a flow state of work. Um, and that's fine when you are doing creative work. But if you have a ton of stuff to do having a little timer it just kind of keeps you accountable for the minutes in your day as well as having that do you track your time are you someone who no doesn't? i tried that so many times and it was just <laughs> it was like calorie counting anybody out there has ever done calorie counting it's horrible it's i, I cannot track my time i can set myself a task to do a thing in 20 minutes 45 minutes two hours but having to Oh, no. It gives me a pain in the stomach. <laughs> um, earlier on, much earlier on now, you said sometimes the budget isn't always mm. there, uh, which made me think like how th that sounds like sometimes you might have somebody come to you. You obviously have this value based pricing that you're working to. How do you deal with people who can't afford you, basically? 
that's that's a really good question. Sometimes it's it's just like um, they just can't afford me, and that's it. And I'll I'll try and give them some advice and point them to some resources. And based on my advice, that the resources that I sent them to, maybe in a couple of months they will have the money. But generally, I try and position my offering as results based, and it, it it often works like that. So if you do have a way of showing up and a validated offer and a way of people to get on a call with you, like as a result of the work that we do, ideally they'll be getting clients off it. So it's a return on investment that can turn around like in a couple of months. So I, I, I'm not one of these kind of hard sales people though. It's like people don't want to spend the money. I totally respect that. Right. Yeah. So you wouldn't, because this is the thing, like if I was sitting there thinking like if you adjusted the scope of the stuff, like the the thing that you did mm. for them, then what if that didn't get the results? And so maybe you just don't start. Maybe you resist the temptation and hope they come back. That sounds... Well, you can always hope that they come back, but you can also send them an email and ask them, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> There's a lot of mindset stuff in it as well. Like, I mean, we think we can get in our own way quite a lot saying, well, I can't start a podcast or who am I to say I can you know, offer this result. And I think that there's a lot of it of um, like, there's a lot of imposter syndrome there and there's a lot of fear of people's judgment. So there's, it's weird, like doing, doing uh, websites and visibility stuff with me. There's a lot of mindset stuff in there. Some people will come to me and they say, well, I, I couldn't, I couldn't come out and make that statement online and I question them, well, why couldn't you make that statement online? This is exa- this is what you studied for five years to do and, and things like that. So there's, sometimes there's a little bit of fear and lack of confidence around, I think we're getting, <laughs> getting a bit tangled here, but there's a, little bit, there's a little bit of mindset stuff as well. So sometimes I just need to nudge people in the direction of, you don't have to feel confident about it. You just have to have an experimental, playful mindset about things and give it a go and keep mm. showing up. And if it feels it's not working just push through a little bit and 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 keep going until you either know for sure that people don't want what you have or you know for sure that people do yeah so there's like a there's a fear thing there that and you, if you can just be playful about it and maybe don't invest too heavily if, if it's not the right time for you in, in terms of your budget um they just play with it you mentioned the importance of coaches and masterminds stuff mm. like that how did you find your coach and how did you know that they'd be good to work with? Well, how to find coaches. It's like, they'll find you for sure. <laughs> that's, that's literally their job. Um, but like sometimes you see somebody on social media. Sometimes it's a friend who's worked with them or, you know, that kind of classic thing. You click on an ad, you attend a webinar, you get sucked into their mailing list and it sounds good to you. And then you get on a call and they're good at selling. So you end up being coached by them. I, I got sucked into a couple of coaching programs that were not suited to my temperament. That's for sure. And they came from personal recommendations and from social media ads and like webinars and stuff. And sometimes it's not a right fit and you just have to learn that expensive mistake. And sometimes it just works. Like my most recent uh, mentor, she's been fantastic. She's been brilliant. She's really supportive. You've you've had quite a few coaches or mentors 
Is that because of the different stages of your business that you're in? Which is every time I've worked, even the coaches that I didn't like or I, they didn't suit me, they always got me somewhere. So if you're if you're staying inside your comfort zone all the time, I'm not saying like push outside of your comfort zone because, you know, you got to look after yourself as well. But sometimes you just need somebody to say, go on then, <laughs> off you go, try this. Every time I've worked with a coach or a mentor, I've been able to implement or take action on something that I've been sitting on for maybe a year or six months. I don't know if it's the fact that you're paying somebody to tell you what to do or the fact that they're really supporting you. Unless you want to stay in the same place, I think you need other people to keep you accountable and to encourage you to take to take action that you would be afraid to do on your own. Mm. Now, Claire, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Oh my God, this was, I brainstormed so much with this and I was like, am I just really boring? <laughs> Is there nothing interesting about me? But I came up with some stuff. So the first one, I have an intense and irrational fear of butterflies. Like, intense. Okay. Okay, second one. Liam and Noel Gallagher, they pronounce it Gallagher, I pronounce it Gallagher. They're actually fourth cousins of mine. So that means that my, hang on, is it great-grandfather? Yeah, somebody did the family tree, and it turns out that they're in there somewhere. So yeah, they're my cousins, the Gallagher bros. And the last one, okay, fact three, after 10 plus years in France, just the other day, my son corrected me, my eight-year-old, and he said, whenever I say neck, I'm actually saying arse. I've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> what's, what's the word? Um, okay, so neck is cou and arse is cou. See, it's, it's like a very easy mistake to make. And my son was like, going, no, 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 that's not it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, you probably don't have to say neck a lot. Do you know, as well, in a family situation around dinner, Claire, how are you doing? I was going, oh, I've got a really sore arse. <laughs> <laughs> Eyebrows are raised. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks um, for sharing. <laughs> okay, right. So is there, is there a name for a fear of butterflies? I haven't looked it up because I fear that there will be pictures of butterflies when I do. <laughs> I'm not joking. Have you ever looked at a butterfly? They're just these most horrendous insects with nice looking wings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to look now. Oh my God, do you know there is? Yeah, because <laughs> they're hideous. Uh, it is Lepidopsis. Pterophobia, lepidopterophobia, the fear of butterflies or moths. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. Lepidopterophobia. I mean, it seems a little bit mean, but as you say, <laughs> a, a rational fear of uh, Liam and Noel. So, do you know anybody within your family who has ever like met them? The, not. We haven't met them. It was somebody in my in my. It was a cousin of mine. Did the kind of the family tree thing. And it all stems back because the name Gallagher comes from like the northwest of Ireland. And, you know, Manchester and Ireland are very connected. Like a lot of Irish people went over there um, in years gone by. And one of them was the, I think it was great, great grandfather of Liam and Noel. So we haven't met them, but it's on paper. They're in there. They're in the clan. These are all excellent stories. They all seem very true. I like to think that your coup 
don't take that the wrong <laughs> way. <laughs> I like to think that that's true. Um, um, so, <laughs> Liam and Noel or the butterflies. I mean, it could be that you love butterflies. No, I don't know. There's something about that. It's such an odd thing to hate or to be scared of, rather. It's fear more than yeah, hate. Yeah, because they're such flittery fluttery little unpredictable you're freaking things. me out here steve don't even say flittery fluttery <laughs> you know at least spiders they kind of just hang in their corner they do their thing they can't get to you as fast you know so is the galaher gallagher link the lie because it just you just looked at your name and you yeah i'm gonna say that is that i'm gonna say liam and Noel is the lie <laughs> you're right you're right yes! i'm not i'm not related to rock stars <laughs> well i mean uh, they could be they could be nobody's actually done the family tree but they could be because the name is from like a small part of ireland you know no it's a good a good element of truth <laughs> there's a in possibility the there's a possibility yeah well there you are you actually do suffer from lepid Oh my god, they freak me out like you would not believe. One got into the car once. (laughs) (laughs) If you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Like I had so many things because young young freelance Claire hadn't a clue. But one thing that definitely has served me very well is listening. Um, There's um, a quote from like a philosopher called Zeno. Anybody who listens to my podcast will think I'm completely obsessed with with ancient Greek philosophers. But he says this thing, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should always listen more than we speak. And I think that's really useful because you got to listen to your clients. you got to listen to feedback. you got to hear it in order to make changes, make improvements and actually be really good at your job. I think listening is key. Nice. Claire, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Uh, <laughs> mess- I, I just said coup at the end there, and now I'm wondering whether I've been saying <laughs> thank you very arse for too well, many years. You need to give it about 10 years before you can hear the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Go to beingfreelance.com. There is a link through. You can check out Claire's website, full of experimentation as it is, and of course, those stories, not case studies. Uh, <laughs> there'll be links through so that you can find Claire on Instagram and a link to the podcast. It's Grow Out Loud, isn't it? Yeah, Grow Out Loud. Yes. Yeah. Grow out loud it's very good uh, so link through to that as well as ever links for all of our guests and transcripts and show notes and yada yada, yada at beingfreelance.com but for now claire thank you so much and all the best being freelance thanks steve how great is claire it's so cool isn't it that we get to live and work in different parts of the world remotely it feels like a very lucky time to be working in many ways anyway thank you to claire for her time Uh, this being freelance thing is by me steve folland i'm a freelance video and podcast producer come say hi on instagram at being freelance or twitter at being freelance if you enjoy what i do with being freelance you can support it on a monthly basis by chopping up my virtual biscuit tin it is beingfreelance.com slash coffee and that takes you to my Kofi page and big thank you to everybody who does that I don't expect it but I massively appreciate it so thank you so much okay I'm out of here you have a great week being freelance being freelance